that's because of unresolved grief and that's what I help people, you know, to move forward through that and resolve all the complex and grief emotions because grief is an umbrella. There's, you know, it's not just sadness. Um, even if we allow sadness to flow, there's still other conflicting emotions that come with grief. There's guilt, or shame or regret and it's almost always about things we wish we could have said or done differently or things we wish somebody else could have said or done differently. So unresolved grief is where the pain lies. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing the gorgeous Rachel Pope. She has been highly admired for her positivity and work as a grief specialist. She inspires people to recreate a life of gratitude, growth, and adventure beyond loss. Let's face it, we all experience loss, whether it be the loss of a loved one, loss of identity, loss of a partner, loss of a child, loss of job, loss of money, whatever it is, the impact of loss can be very, very deep and it can also have long-standing pain. So one of Australia's most heartfelt and motivational speakers, our beautiful Rachel is with us this week because she does truly engage many of us to live experiences, whether they're good and not so good, with compassion and grace. Rachel is a thought leader, an encourager, and a survivor. She's also an author, inspirational speaker, and grief coach. As someone who has experienced compounded loss in her life, as you will hear in this podcast, not only did she lose her father, her brother, and her husband, you will hear how this woman has created a personal mission to lift the lid on grief one conversation at a time. She has lived it, survived it, and resurfaced with a proven track record to help people grow through grief and recognize the gifts within their story. Her unique workshops, online courses, book, and motivational speaking events have transformed the lives of thousands who have now found a new purpose beyond the pain of loss. And my goodness, are you in for a ride this week? If you've been touched by grief or know someone who is going through the shock and the initial phases of grief, you are going to love the gifts she offers in this week's podcast. I'm with her. It's a conversation we may not do so well, particularly in the West, but you will see there is definite ways, a definite process where you can do this with way more courage and strength, way more ability to fast track your way through this without underestimating or processing every single facet of the avenue of pain that we experience. So lock yourself in. You're in for an incredible podcast, an amazing interview with a very special soul. Welcome to the beautiful Rachel Pope. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, I have an incredibly special soul, someone who has been to the depths of, I guess you could say, despair and someone who has used her journey as an opportunity to grow through what she's been through. And I'm very delighted because I know all of us are touched with grief at some point in our lives. So without further ado, welcome to the Self Love Podcast, beautiful Rachel Pope. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much for having me today and this much-needed conversation. I'm very honoured. Well, I think you're dead right. Well, most of us will experience grief in some form or shape. You sadly have been thrown into it and become an expert on it through your own adversity. But before we go into the details of what has led you to being here today, perhaps you could just give the listener an idea as to who you are, where you're from, and what has led you on this incredible path of healing. Yeah, thank you, Kim. I um, I was widowed young in 2012. Uh, four and six, our kids were very young. Um, but that was a full circle grief moment for me, having previously lost my dad at 17 to cancer and my brother uh, when I was 25 in a car accident. So 
you know, all the unresolved grief from that came up and I was just left with what is this? What is grief and what is this all about? Obviously, you know, devastating loss with the loss of my husband. But I really, really um, was searching for some answers about how society teaches us to grieve, you know, how friends support us during grief. And, um, yeah, that led me to, to go searching for some resources. And what I found, um, you know, lots of different therapies, of, of, you name it, I've done it, um, but just not given any of those real practical tips and tools to how to navigate my new normal. So, yeah, that led me to, to further studies at the Grief Institute in WA and then to write my book, which was published in 2019, Gifts from Grief. Well, that's an interesting title in itself, isn't it? When we're in the depths of grief, loss, and we're talking all sorts of loss, not just the loss of our beautiful loved ones. I just would love you to say in this space and place, how on earth did you find the gifts from such extraordinary pain? Can you talk us through that process? Well, yes, it took a long time to come up with that title and I, and I resisted it for a long time because, you know, most people would, would reply with, well, where's the gift in this, you know, when you experience devastating loss? And you're right, it's not just about the loss of a loved one, I've experienced other losses as well. With being widowed, you experience, you know, multiple losses after um, and anticipatory grief with my dad you, um, and, you know, financial loss, all of those things. And I just looked at, I've always been a grateful person. I guess that gift of perspective was um, gifted to us young. My eldest brother who passed in a car accident was a paraplegic and he was a very special man. He lived his life to the max. Um, He competed in games, Pacific games overseas and travelled the world and I think, you know, the lessons that we learn from the people that come into our lives, I just had to step back and say, well, how can I how can I use their gifts? How can I honour them um, moving forward in my grief? How can I honour these three beautiful men that, you know, were so important to me and, and start to unpack the gifts within their story so that that could empower me because you know, our reaction and, and the way we move forward is the only thing we have control of. So I just started journaling and writing and that's when the Gifts from Grief community was formed and the feedback I got was, you know, yes, we want to honour them, we want to keep remembering, we want to still mention their names. And they started to feel, you know, and, and responded and, and could resonate with my writing. So the chapters were formed and they were just 12 gifts um, that I could use to help me and some tips and tools. And they're like, you know, the gift of growth and the gift of perspective and the gift of gratitude, um, the gift of compassion towards others. And then, you know, furthermore, uh, the gift of contribution, how we can how we can give back and use our story to help others. I think it's incredibly powerful and profound, but you also mentioned there the importance of perhaps the space, the space between the shock or the loss or the, as you say, anticipatory loss, whatever form of loss it is. Is it important for us to allow ourselves as humans to have human experiences of deep grief, deep emotion? And how do you actually navigate yourself through the pain of the actual grief? Is there certain keys that you've come up with or ways that you've looked at this? Yes, and I learned the hard way and that's why I'm so passionate about helping people not take you know, reach that rock bottom because it was that's that's where I hit. It was three years after my my husband passed. I was running a franchise, a business, two small children. I, even though I had family support, I had the be strong mask on, and that's you know those emotions that we're as society we're taught to brush these things under the carpet and not not feel and to move for, move on, not move forward, and 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 all the things that people say to you. Um, you know, it's it's been two years now, it's been three years now, aren't you over it? And all these platitudes, I that's when I had to sort of look within and and look at the pain um and realize that I hadn't I hadn't allowed those emotions. And we're not taught that. We're not taught to breathe. 
we're not taught to allow and friends and family don't know how to hold that space for us um, to allow our emotions uh, and it's very important because if we do push it down like any emotion um, then that manifests and manifests in our bodies and stress and all the physical symptoms that come with grief um, and and people can relate to that a lot too and they, they wonder why they're still feeling that way that's because of unresolved grief and that's what I help people you know to move forward through that and resolve all the complex grief emotions because grief is an umbrella there's you know it's not just sadness um, even if we allow sadness to flow there's still other conflicting emotions that come with grief there's guilt or shame or regret and it's almost always about things we wish we could have said or done differently or things we wish somebody else could have said or done differently so unresolved grief is where the pain lies and um, we need to support each other better through that process think and this is just an observation not a judgment do you think we in the western world white people pakiha people as the new zealanders would call us mm -hmm. do you think we do it well when i look at tribal grief and i look at the way um other cultures honor the person i'm not saying either's right or wrong but i do get the feeling we're not really taught as you said to deal with it in the way that perhaps other cultures do what's your experience around that observation yeah absolutely and that's what i observe too and um even more so we narrow it down to aussie culture um, and especially for our young men, our young boys, we're taught to man up, to, to you know, to be strong, to um, toughen up, and all these things. So, um, and you know, look at our society. We're given one day off for a funeral, and then expected to come back to the workplace, and as if nothing happened. And and it's becoming better. You know, there are a lot of mental health support out there now, but um, we do, we do, and need to. Uh, look at that we need to look at that and um and support each other better through it definitely in other cultures i feel they allow that mourning process and um and there's no time frame on that they're allowed their space uh here not so much <laughs> do you think about that from your perspective your experience and you have obviously done a lot of research and study in this area what do you think we could be doing better then in your ideal world we are all going to experience grief we are all going to experience loss in some shape or another so what are your tips or ideas around how we can process that in a better way i think it comes down to acknowledgement i just love that word acknowledgement and i use that in you know just in in workshops and things that we just need to acknowledge first, uh, we're not good listeners. <laughs> we're um, quick to jump in and fix people. And that's always a reflection of our own journey and how we feel we would respond if this happened to us. And, and of course, we don't want to see our loved ones hurting or in pain. So um, as colleagues and friends, we try and, you know, um, make people happy and, and cheer them up, which is a good thing too. But it's just that immediate months you know those early days even the first year acknowledgement is key it's about recognizing that that person is grieving recognizing that they're facing their new normal whatever that loss might be in divorce or you know child loss or moving you know moving states is a grief event when you lose you know society you lose your support group and things like that so Whatever the loss may be, it's about acknowledgement. Um, and and as friends and colleagues, we can say, you know, I know you, I, I know you're going through a hard time. I don't know how to support you, but I just know that I'm here. And grievers just just want that acknowledgement. They just want to be seen and um, to know that if they're not having a good day, then this is why. Um, and isolation, it leads to isolation because people don't get that response then they shut down and they isolate and that's that manifests their grief for them and, and uh, makes it harder for them to talk to people so yeah I think it's a it's a, a big thing around educating people how to listen how to support and how to just show up for that person in my experience of 
sadness and grief and loss, one of the most incredible things I've noticed for the person so close to it, the person going through the pain, is my experience has shown that they don't want you to stop talking about this person. They don't want you to forget their memory. And yet most people, it seems, that's a generalized statement, are not quite sure. Like you said, it's all very good and well to listen. But if you get pushed away or if people can't talk or they're not used to expressing their emotions or they feel they have to be strong for everyone else, what's the what's the methodology there? Do you just keep showing up? Do you just keep being there? What's your experience with that side of things? Yeah, I agree. And and it is, it is, it's kind of that um perpetual circle where the griever does feel well like it's not being received or um people are judging or comparing you know comparison robs that person the dignity of what they're going through because even if I'm talking to another widow um I will never say to them I know how you feel even if we experience the same loss because all relationships are unique and individual too and uh, we're taught to replace loss and, and to be strong and that time heals all wounds and all these myths and misconceptions around grief. So the person who's trying to help, you know, because they don't know what to say, um, then they withdraw. And then the person who's grieving because they're not being acknowledged, they withdraw as well. So I think there's an education on both parts for the griever to to reach out, to be able to say um, that I do need help or I do need support. Um, and find that safe space, you know, find that that person or therapy or something that works for them that um, they can be acknowledged. And uh, the person who's supporting, yes, definitely just keep showing up. Just if you don't know what to say, say, I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you. Um, but I think we need to to stop and listen again, not, not that judgment or comparison. We need to um, not try and fix our grievers. Grievers are not broken. Um, and it's an emotional experience. It's not an intellectual experience. Grievers are suffering from a broken heart, not a broken head. So <laughs> we offer all these intellectual comments um, and people, I'm sure your listeners will relate to these things like they're in a better place or, you know, it was God's timing or, um, you know, they're not in pain anymore and all these things that people say they're not they're not helpful in that moment. Um, so, yeah, we need to just listen. We need to show up and, and keep showing up. Mm. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because people mm. mean well when they say things like of that. Of course. People don't mm. want to upset the person and don't want to say the wrong thing, of course. But, you know, I think it's a really important thing. One, one question I said to a friend when we were in our early 30s when her husband suddenly died, leaving her with a one-year-old, I just remember saying to her, look, I, I, I don't know what to say mm. and I don't know how to do this and none of us have been here before, so what do you need? And she was she was so distraught, so she mm. couldn't even talk. One thing she really hated, and I, I would love your opinion on this, everyone sending flowers. Of course, flowers are just a beautiful, a lovely gesture and I know everyone means well. But she can't stand the smell of white lilies anymore, her house. Mm. And it really did look like, it would look like a florist. And mm -hmm. one of my thoughts was when someone does pass, wouldn't it be nice if those of us that want to send flowers, there's one place, but maybe a bunch a week over the next year rather than a whole room full at once. Mm -hmm. I know we can't tell people that and I know it's not about mm -hmm. that, but is that your experience as well? That like I'd love your yes. thoughts around flowers. I know, and it is, it's, you know, especially if people are at a distance, they don't know what to do, so they just send that as, you know, just as an offering, I guess the meaning behind it is I'm thinking of you and I hope this brightens your day, but oh gosh, yeah, I remember the room full of flowers. But I also remember the friend who turned up with a box of necessities and that's what I advise people now when they say my friend just lost, you know, their partner or something, what can I do? And I give them a list, a box of necessities, and it has toilet paper and tissues and wash liquid and coffee and tea and, you know, things for when people are coming in and out of your house, that you know, meals, those, those immediate weeks. Uh, practical support is just so much more appropriate to that person who's who just can't function you know literally getting out of bed is is a feat so um yeah when people say uh, and I tell them that they go oh my gosh what a great idea 
Uh, so I have all these people arriving with boxes of necessities and um, that's my immediate grief tip if you're wanting to help someone who's, you know, just been through a divorce or, you know, and has, especially with small children because we always get the text then that follows um, and I'll speak about just that time after the funeral and after that month when everything's stops and everyone gets back on with their life that's when you know people really it really hits them um and that's where the the not sending the text let me know if there's anything you need that's a you know and we do that as friends you know we want to acknowledge and we say let just message me if there's anything you need well the griever's not going to message you um and say i need you to come and mow my lawn this weekend <laughs> or i need you to mind the kids for an hour so i can get my hair cut these are um, this is where, you know, if you're close to that person, it's really opening up that conversation and saying, I want to help. Um, can I do this? I'm coming around with some food. Can I leave it at your door if you don't want to see anybody? Um, and just, you know, create that village around that person of practical things. There's so much to go through with um, uh, finalising details and closing accounts. And I can remember just the stress and trauma around forms and lists and um and turning up to Centrelink and all those kind of places that's when they need someone to support them and be there as a person and just just be beside them I hope that helps somebody yeah I love that box of necessities and I've always found too one of the nicest things I've loved to do for people in loss is make a blend for them or use the oils, something mm. significant. I remember, um, I, you know, like through the loss of a number of people over the years, even seems ridiculous, but um, a little rose quartz crystal heart mm. or just something that you can feel for that mm. person. But you also know that no matter what, at some point, it might just be something nice beside their bed or a nice smell or aroma in the house. So I really, I love that tip of a box of necessities. And mm. the constant living, you know, living in the moment, but leaving it at the door, giving them that choice. I also love to ask the question, do you want to talk about it or do you want to just leave it? And I'm here to vacuum your floor. I'm here to do this. I I love giving them the ability or the person in that grief. Or I've loved it myself when I've been in grief. You know, I'm here to help you just send me in the right direction. Because for most of us, when we see someone we absolutely adore in the throes of grief and despair and shock, then one of the hardest things is to actually know what to do. Mm -hmm. a, a friend just recently who lost his wife and was left with a small baby and her other two daughters, it's been really harrowing for everybody in that circle, especially him. Mm -hmm. But one of the bravest things he did, and he said he's not used to asking for help, but he put it out into a Facebook group message, I'm not good at asking for help but I desperately need help in the backyard for the girls and to make it all okay. Or mm. can I just say this, when a griever reaches out, I've never seen community come together. Everybody felt like it was like, yes, there's something we can do that makes his or her life a bit easier and better. And to see community rally like that. Uh, and if you as the griever can't do it, your right-hand person might be the one that creates that. So is it fair to say it's good to have someone right there in your corner if you can't find the words, if you can't speak, maybe then ask if you can be that right-hand person who is the gatekeeper, if you like, or the person that honours them and lets everybody knows how they're doing. Because ultimately at the end of the day, Rach, we just want to know they're okay, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. And I love that. And yes, gatekeeper is perfect, you know, to be that person to say, do you mind if I just reach out to a few people where they, they want to know how to help? And we're going to get together and, and you know, what's, what do you need most in this, in this time? Do you need, you know, meals prepped or, yeah, do you need someone mowing the lawn? Do you need um, somebody to pick up your kids? And for the griever, there's also, you know, there's fear around all of that as well as asking for help and, um, and back to for the griever, tips for that griever is that we don't have to be strong. You know, that's one of the big myths and misconceptions around grief is we're told to be strong, you know, be strong for your kids. My four-year-old was told he's the man of the house now by someone. How ridiculous is that? Um, and we do that. We put on the Be Strong mask uh, for others and for ourselves. And we can be strong or we can be human. And I had that Be Strong mask on for three years until I hit rock bottom. And it was a defining moment for 
motivated to wake up and just go, I am I am not thriving, I am just surviving. And we're in survival mode and I had to really take stock and that's when I sold my business and, and you know, had a look at what was serving me and, and decided I don't need to be strong anymore, I need to rebuild um, and seek help and, and follow some people that are a bit further down the track from me and and so then that turned out, it, you know, it turned into me guiding and helping others with my writing and, and courses. So it's, yeah, for the, for the supporter, yes, we need to show up and we need to ask those important questions. And for the griever, um, we need to let down and, and not have those huge expectations on ourselves um, to say it's okay to, to get help and it's okay to have a day of rest and it's we, we need to listen to ourselves and, and with you with your work and self-love for me self-love in those times was not about you know meditation and all these things that I couldn't sit still I couldn't listen to anything I couldn't read a book um, there's that numbing and that fog in early grief um, but what I'm looking back now and what I guide people um, through self-love is is telling your emotional truth and and releasing that steam kettle. And if that requires support from others, then that's so important. But it's allowing those tears to flow, listening to your body when you need to rest, um, calling a friend, going for a walk and movement and and, and just baby steps one, one day at a time. Yeah. I think that's so powerful, just even acknowledging that. Can you tell us before, I've got another question, but just before we do, can you tell me a little bit more about this Be Strong mask? What does that look like so that the supporters can actually see through that? Or what is it that we're looking for when someone's got that Be Strong mask on? Mm-hmm. Well, we're told that, we're told that, you know, I, 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 I could never do what you're doing. You're so strong. You're, you know, I could never do what you're doing. That's something that's a common theme for widows is I don't know how you do it. And, and when that gets told to you over and over again, it's like, well, I don't have a choice for a start and I've got two small children to feed and, you know, they were my saving grace definitely in those early days. Um, the be strong, I think it's an expectation that society puts on us through any loss event or any grief. You know, we've got to, we've got to um, toughen up and we've got to move on and we've got to get up and go and power through and push through and all of these kind of things. But we're not designed for that. We're designed to receive first and that beautiful circle of receiving and then we can give about, you know, back to that filling your own cup and oxygen mask first. And I realised at that moment, that rock bottom moment, that being strong was not serving my children. And now they're teenagers, you know, 17 and 15, and, and I'm so glad that I discovered that early on because it's allowed them the space to come to me now. Um, that they've seen that side of me and that it's okay. And and those things are modelled to us from a very young age, those myths and misconceptions that be strong and keep going and time heals. Um, we're taught that from a very young age, I think, um, and children who go through a loss or divorce and, and children of divorce, things like that, they're told you've got to be strong for mummy or you've got to be strong for dad and and they're, they're taught that too. So I think we've got to break down those barriers of um, being strong. Um, there's strength in just getting up. There's strength in having a shower. There's, you know, a shower and a sandwich was a good day for me in those early, early months of grief. So I think it's giving not only ourselves permission, but giving those we love permission to not be strong. Um, that's what I mean about that mask. It's just something that we do, something that we do because we we think that it's the best way. Um, you know, I can remember uh, going to a grocery shop after making some funeral arrangements with my kids. They're in the car, and I was in tears in the car park, just pulling myself together to go into to the grocery store. And then when you get to the checkout, you know, the checkout person asks you, how was your day? And and I'm like, yeah, good, I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. And these my kids are looking at me going, she ain't fine. You know, she was just crying in the car. So we're modelling to our kids as well. <clears throat> don't be sad. You know, don't cry. Definitely don't cry in public. And <clears throat> although, I, you know, you don't want to unload your whole life story to the poor checkout person, but 
now in emotional truth telling, I you know I could have said oh, I've had we've had a really difficult day, but we're going home to make some dinner now, and that's acknowledgement and that's telling the kids, yeah, it's okay to not be okay. I'm not fine. Feelings inside not expressed, <laughs> and we do that when people reach out. How are you? I'm fine, and we put on that mask. So. I think, yeah, just giving ourselves permission to not be strong is not a defect or default in our makeup. We're designed to grieve and we're designed to experience that sadness. Then we gather strength and we move, you know, forward with that, with our growth. Um, we gather strength and resilience. All these events that happen in our life are, you know, they are building resilience within us. Um, but definitely in those immediate days, we don't need to be strong. No, I, I quite like your acronym for fine feelings inside, not expressed. Mm-hmm. I've also said freaking insecure and neurotic and emotional. I can also go <laughs> yes. with it as well. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> but we do that and we model that to our kids, you know. Um, but now a song can come on and trigger and, and, and it can, you know, triggers for people and grief happen all the time, many years after. And we can be sad in that moment and, and just tell a story. And for young kids, like, you know, I teach helping children with loss programs for parents and teachers of using that language and always going first as adults to say, wow, that, that song reminds me of this time and, and I'm feeling sad in this moment um, and having some tears and laughter. Or if anger is the trigger, wow, that, that really triggers me, That what that person just did in the car park or whatever. And going first and, and just saying, well, I'm going to process that and, and what's my next inspired action to, to work through that emotion rather than bottling it up and, and having that manifest in our bodies, um, telling our emotional truth all the time and, and knowing what I teach is, is they're activators, they're not triggers, what's the next activated inspired activity that's going to help me through this emotion? Um, is it just going outside and, and standing on the grass? Is it calling a friend? Is it rest, you know, calling in, our, in telling our emotional truth and recognizing? Yeah. That's well, so beautiful. I, I, is it fair to say then your definition of self-love is telling your emotional truth? Is that what you think self-love is? Absolutely, because isn't that what holds so many people back in in, in so many areas in their life of, of, you know, taking inspired activity to, to eat healthier or to um, move more or to <clears throat> relationships and things. It always comes back to our own self-worth and self-love. And emotional eating is a huge, you know, one of the short-term energy relieving behaviours that we participate in when we're feeling emotional. And if we don't deal with those emotions, we replace it with something else, whether that be retail therapy, you know, they call it therapy, (laughs) Um, or um, anger lashing out, you know, road rage when there's anger there. Um, All those energy relieving behaviours that are our go-tos, whether they be subconscious or something that was modelled to us from our parents or um, people before us, isolation is another energy relieving behaviour where we just isolate and, and shut down. Um, all of these are because we're pushing our emotions down and we're not willing to face them. We're scared of feeling them. So giving ourselves permission to feel um, those emotions and then finding the next inspired activity that's going to help process that. So we don't stay there and we also don't add another rock to our backpack of, of those emotions. So profound. Uh, It just leads me to that. You've said it already, but Mm -hmm. when people say things like time heals, it's, it's, I don't know, what's your thoughts around the words time heals? Because my experience of grief is it hasn't healed. If anything, sometimes during the process of grief, the person or the thing I'm grieving is getting further and further away. Mm -hmm. So I'm not quite sure. What's your experience or tips around the words time heals? Mm -hmm. And we're taught that, absolutely. Just give it some time. Just get through the first anniversary. Just get through the first Christmas. Well, time, all it does is pass. Time alone doesn't heal is what I teach. You know, time alone doesn't heal. We don't break an arm and pull up a chair and say, I'll just give it some time. We seek help. We seek somebody to, you know, um, support that and and fix our arm and and then we do physio and we do all the things that we need to do to heal our arm and that's a physical wound Um, or, uh, you know, 
busting a tire, we don't just pull up and say, I'll give it some time. So when it comes to emotional wounds, we say, give it some time. And that just doesn't make sense. No, we need time plus a small series of action steps and support. We need time plus some things to help us heal um, and whatever that means for you and getting that support. Time alone doesn't heal. And that's, there's a big danger in that grievance because it can get to that two, three, four-year, ten-year mark and they're still feeling the same. Then they start to <clears throat> internalise that and feel there's something wrong with them. Um, that can lead to depression and, and all of those, you know, areas in mental health because they feel there's something wrong with them uh, because they haven't taken some action steps or they haven't seeked out some support and help to help them heal. So, yes, time does not heal. No, <laughs> certainly not alone. I really love that distinction. Mm. We're told that there's five, maybe seven steps to grief. You know, the I, I think for memory it's like shock, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, test, accept, hope, process, all of these words. What is your thoughts around that grief cycle? Is it real or is it just, is it something that someone's created for us to actually understand the process that we're going through? Is there something different from your experience? I love that you brought that up, Kim, because it's used so widely in so many therapies and books around grief. And the truth is that those stages or steps were actually written by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Um, people can look it up. She actually wrote that paper uh, for the stages of somebody who has been diagnosed with a terminal illness. So those stages were written and you can see now how apt and appropriate they are for somebody who knows that they are terminally ill and going to pass. So, of course, there's going to be anger and denial and then they need acceptance. Those stages were not written for grief, but they have been misconstrued and distributed widely through so many grief, um, you know, resources. And so people look at those and go, well, these are the stages of grief. And I remember looking at that and reading that in a book that somebody gave me and I'm like, well, anger's coming up next. I don't want to, I don't want to go through that stage. I'm not angry. Um, of course, those emotions are appropriate to, to what we feel, but they're not linear and there's no, you know, there's no linear train that we're on to go through those stages. We can feel all those emotions in one day, up and down, up and down like a roller coaster. So yes, we need to um, let people know that that they are not the stages for grief. They are stages for somebody who has been diagnosed with a illness. Thank you so much for clearing that because I know for all of us, as you said, it's not linear. Mm. So we're talking a lot about the loss of love, the loss of a relationship, the loss of someone we love deeply. You did mention before about divorce, but there's also things like loss of work, loss of identity, loss of belief in self. Um, we've been through some of the toughest years that has challenged so many people about who they are or who they thought they were. And along with that, the financial losses and all of those things. Can you explain to us then how you can apply your tools and methodology to all areas of loss? Mm, absolutely. Grief by definition and, and grief recovery in the work that I do is number one, grief is the normal and natural reaction to loss. So we need to normalise and natural that it's a natural reaction. And number two, the definition is that grief is the conflicting feelings that we feel with any change of familiar patterns and behaviour. I'll say that again, it's the conflicting feelings that we feel with any change of a familiar pattern and behaviour. And haven't we just experienced that in the last few years, especially, you know, down south and lockdowns and all those things They had a change in what was familiar for them. So being housebound and not being able to go to the gym and not being able to see their loved ones, all of that it was brief. It's a huge change in that familiar pattern. Children of divorce, they're going through a huge change in what's familiar for them. So they're grieving, they're grieving that routine and, and the, their whole, you know, week to week has changed. Loss of a pet, you know, um, yeah, loss of job or support groups or work changes. We're grieving that familiar pattern in behaviour. So grief by definition is any change, any change or loss that, was familiar to us and we grieve that. A child who is 
moved schools 20 times and they have a you know a parent in the military and they every um, year they're going to a new school and have to make friends and they're told mm, it's okay you'll make new friends well they're still grieving their old friends in their old house in their old bedroom <clears throat> that's a change um, so yeah uh, somebody who you know has an illness or an accident a car accident and can no longer perform physically to that to what they're used to um, that's grief and loss of their old physical form so they're grieving that change people who have um, chronic illness and ongoing illness or back pain, things like that. It's all, all when we look at that, my grief recovery programs, we look at a whole timeline of losses right back from childhood because we carry those. And if we haven't resolved um, those incidences and grief or loss events from childhood, then when we, re, when we experience a new loss event, that's when all of that is, is comes bubbling up to the surface and then what we do is we try and push it down and put a lid on it and say that was the past you know that's that happened in the past so I don't need to relive that um and we try to push on and move forward so yeah I'm glad you brought that up because it's not just death and loss we, we experience grief and loss on so many different levels identity is a huge one um a loss of identity and and for me, you know, uh, we attach ourselves to to marriage, to our house, to our career. We're taught all our lives how to attain things. We're never taught what to do when we lose those things. So somebody who loses their house or loses their job in a career. I know from my flying days, I have friends who are pilots, you know, they were captains of, of, of airlines, Cathay Pacific, and, and all of a sudden that was ripped out from underneath them. They lost their jobs. One of them's driving a truck now. Um, you know, that's their whole identity, just gone, and they couldn't return to what they loved. So, yeah, grief and loss, the change in any familiar pattern and behaviour. Thank you so much for clarifying that because I think many of us just associate it with the loss of a loved one and even mm. the loss in the change of a marriage, <laughs> you know, mm. when people become parents. Um, when a couple has been in this love bubble and all of a sudden there's this child that just demands mm. so much, the loss of who we were before children or the loss when our children leave home. That yes, emptiness, absolutely. <sighs> and also I'd like to, you know, just acknowledge and mention pregnancy loss. It's a huge one that's not addressed in our society um, and and infant loss those, um, where there's an expectation that they can't talk about the baby who has passed or definitely can't have photos of, you know, a stillborn baby in the house. There's that expectation that we put on them because it's uncomfortable for us. And pregnancy loss is something that many women experience and infertility. They're all, you know, that's a huge grief and loss event that needs to be acknowledged, you know. Incredible, isn't it? You know, I was recently witnessing the loss, the shock loss of a beautifully healthy, loved father in his 60s. He's from the islands and it was shown on Instagram, this beautiful, his celebration of life. And it showed his body. They showed the kids walking around him. There was music, there was dancing, there was tears, there was emotive speeches. It was like everybody that commented on this was saying, thank you for sharing this. It's almost like you just said, we can't have a picture of a stillborn on the wall or we believe we can't. It's what's the, What is this uncomfortableness around death or loss? What is that? Oh, gosh, I wish I could answer that in one line. Um, back to our, you know, Western culture and, and here, Aussie culture, I think it, I think for us we're so ill-equipped to deal with other. It's always a reflection on us. It's always a mirror of how would I, you know, I wouldn't want to do that, so therefore, you know, I can't handle that you're doing that. <laughs> so it's about just respect and, and saying, well, I don't know how I would handle that. I don't know if I would have photos, you know, my, I still have wedding photos on my wall. It doesn't mean that I'm not, haven't moved forward and still hold that love for my hus late husband. It's, it's just how I choose and we need to respect that everyone's grief journey is unique to them and everyone's relationships are unique to them. So... 
um, how you choose to grieve, grieve and own your grief is is there's no right or wrong. It is yours to own. And um, if there's people in your life that are constantly coming back with you know how they feel or, or their opinions, then we need to set ourselves some boundaries around that. I know with social media is a big part of my business and how I how people find me to do my um, grief recovery courses is is by posting photos in, in honor of my husband. And I always put that remember on a live repeat or, or photos of my brother and my dad and there's a stigma around widowhood. You know, if you lose your mom, you wouldn't stop putting photos up of her and everybody appreciates that and can celebrate that. But there's a stigma around, well, why are you still putting up photos of your husband 10 years later? You know, aren't you over that yet? Um, and I hear that all the time. It just breaks my heart because, you know, we would want to be remembered. And how would you want to be remembered? You still want to be celebrated and, and have those memories shared. And he's still the father of my children. And I want to keep that memory alive for them so that they can look back on these moments. So I'm honouring him, I'm sharing, I'm honouring and I'm remembering, but then I'm living, you know, and I guide people to that wholehearted living beyond loss. I'm living um, in his honour, so I'm never going to stop sharing. Um, so for people who are worried about that, they're worried about putting up photos on Facebook and things, we need to <clears throat> respect them and allow them to do so. Yeah. Thank you. I, I think it just gives us such <laughs> hope around giving ourselves permission to do such things and honouring the people who do choose to share. Uh, I want to ask you a personal question and you please don't feel like you have to answer this, but you say living beyond loss. How does a young woman with two young children uh, feel love again or what's it like dating as a widow like how on earth does a man or a woman get through that when they've experienced such loss yet still love that gorgeous soul that was perhaps the father of their children or mother of their children mm, we talked about that before our <laughs> interview saying I could uh, write uh, do it a whole podcast on widowhood and dating it's definitely something that um, many people can resonate with and come to me for on advice um, because it is a it's you know it's it's something that nobody ever wants to experience but I feel because you if you come from a space of such love and nurturing then you seek that out again you you want to to honor that and feel that again and there's no timeline there's you know people who say is it too soon is it you know has it been too long again it's, it's respecting that that person's journey we don't decide when people come in and out out of our lives to love um so navigating that was it's it's scary it's scary because you you've attached yourself to that that relationship and that marriage. And I can remember just looking at myself in the mirror going, well, who am I now? Who am I without that? Um, in a marriage, you decide where to go on holiday together, where to live, where to send your kids to school, and you make all those decisions together. And all of a sudden, I was stripped back, you know, this big fat identity check. Well, well who, I've got to make those decisions on my own now. So you start to revisit and I and I encourage people and guide people to how to revisit what's joyful for them. I, you know, I went back to to swimming, which was a joy for me, and, and playing music and and just finding something that you remember was joyful for you even before you met your partner and inviting that back in so you can start filling your cup and rebuilding and then you know, whatever comes your way as far as um, that goes. But, yeah, it's 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 a journey. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I'm sure there's many humorous stories, yes. stories in there. I'm sure there's lots we could tell. And I'm actually thinking this, that you should be writing a book on that one too because yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of men and women who would appreciate mm. Speaking mm. of the, the living with and moving through, perhaps you could give us an overview of the courses that you offer and maybe even, you know, some of your tips and, and steps in what we can do. Either, could you also give it to us not only as the griever, but also the supporter? What are your method, What's your methodology? Mm, um, so when I discovered grief recovery, and that's where a lot of my work is now alongside my workshops, it's it's deep work because it's action-based and it, and it gives you the tools and um, the toolkit to honour your grief, but, but it also is deep work because we do look at a timeline, we do go back to our childhood because that's, you know, almost everyone that comes to me with a recent loss to my programs, they 99% end up working on something else. 
And that's just so fascinating to me because it's what I discovered as well. And to heal fully and to, to honour the loss that we've you know, recently experienced, we need to heal other things within ourselves. And um, therapy and, and, and different things that I've spoke of that I've been to over the years, it's, it's wonderful to have a space to share and maybe tell somebody in a safe space and things you've never told anyone before and have a big cry. But for me, what I found, I walk out of those rooms, A, not not knowing what to do next or what do I do now and B, when you're sitting across the table from somebody who's never experienced what you've experienced, there's just so much to be said for lived experience and that compassion and that holding that space um, because it is something you don't, you know, you don't know until you've walked in those shoes. So um, <clears throat> tips and tools around that is back to that time doesn't heal. We need to take some action, whatever that looks like, even if it means just joining a group online and finding some support. When I went looking, I couldn't find anything here. I found stuff in the UK and the US and there was a lady in the States that I, I latched onto because she was just five years further down the road from me. And so it's about holding some hope. You know, the first step is just to have some hope that your life will get better. And I just held on to that hope at first. That's all I could do was just to find support online, find a group, even if it's local, a great support group locally, just to give you a bit of hope because we always just want to look a bit further down the track and um, for the support person it is it's allowing that space allowing them time to to process being there for them um, honoring acknowledging back to that acknowledging just acknowledging that this is their grief and it's not how we might perceive that we would grieve but just to acknowledge and keep showing up um, Grief recovery is 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 centered around the pain that's attached to our grief because we're not as humans designed to live with pain. We're designed to live with emotions and sadness, and that's normal. But we're not designed to live with pain. And when fond memories turn painful, that's where there's unresolved grief, and that could be even in existing relationships. There's grief in estranged relationships, estranged relationships with our parents or a sibling or or a best friend or. Um, divorce there's a strange relationship where there's a lot of unresolved communication so we need to resolve that and, and and be emotionally complete knowing that we've taken some action because we can't rely on somebody else to take those actions so we need to start taking at least one percent responsibility for how we're going to react to things that have happened to us in the past because that's the only thing we have control over i hope that makes some sense Oh, it's so powerful. I get excited because I I see the transformations and um, it's just so rewarding. I know what's in store for people when they come to me. Could you give us an example of someone who did the work, showed up, and what the outcome of that was? As I said, people that always end up working on something else was a woman who was in her 60s and just had a string of abusive relationships and why she was attracting that and that self-belief, no self-confidence, just allowing that constantly to enter into her life. Um, and when we when we took her back and we did that timeline therapy to her childhood and realised the relationships that she had with her mother and her father and what was modelled to her, sexual abuse as a child, um, you know, had experienced a rape at 17 all of this trauma um, that she'd experienced in her life to get her to a stage of her believing in herself and resolving that and forgiveness, which a lot of people will, you know, the hairs on their back of the neck will come up, especially for abusive or strange relationships around forgiveness. We're taught in society that forgiveness is condoning an action. If I forgive someone, I'm condoning that action, but it's not Forgiveness is an action we take, just like an apology is an action that we take. Forgiveness is an action that we take so that we're letting go of that pain and we're not allowing that to affect our capacity for happiness in the now. And to see her now, this is over a year ago, invites um, so much joy into life with confidence, knowing that she's taken that action. And it's a toolkit that's ongoing. You can use it daily with journaling and, and writing 
um, the tips and tools that are in grief recovery around resolving those issues because otherwise we keep ourselves in emotional jail, right, and we're holding on to these bars. If we're on video, you'd see my hands holding two bars either side and one is holding on to the past and all that pain and, and the other one is the anxiety of the future um, that hasn't even happened yet, but the space between the bars is big enough for us to walk through. It's only because we're holding on to this stuff, we're allowing it, we're holding on to the pain. It's not allowing us to walk through the space in the middle and invite joy into our lives. So that was just so rewarding to see her build her self-confidence. And it's not a magic wand. It doesn't happen overnight. But she just had so much. She was carrying such a big backpack of rocks from early childhood right through to adulthood. And her vibration and her energy was to just attract that into her life because she didn't feel worthy of anything better. Um, and now she is. <laughs> you, you bring that's up such a good point. I think that's so profound and probably one of the most extraordinary things that that we can do. And grief breaks us wide open to mm. go and explore this. And I would even recommend that whatever we're filtering for. So if you do have a filter, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough. And there's all these mini traumas that we carry, as you say, like a rock in our backpack then even before we get exposed to something like grief or extreme loss, one of the key things I'm hearing here is there's opportunity for growth and openness and releasing of past traumas and experiences and limiting emotions and beliefs, all of these things. We are all whips. We are all works in progress. Mm. And so we don't need a big uh, grief loss moment to actually find this is where we do the work. And I'd encourage anyone, if you're going through things where there's constant patterns of maybe li that's limiting you from living a full life of hope, love and, and beauty and all of the things that we all want, maybe that's a sign from the universe for you to do some of this beautiful work. And I would even recommend doing the work that Rachel's offering because no matter what, we have all experienced loss, as you say. One of the things we spoke about or that I mentioned briefly was around humor. And I just wanted to share a story around how powerful our children can be through loss. When we lost one of our beautiful pussycats who had been there since my daughter, we got her a year before my daughter was even born. They shared the same birthday and they had a very close relationship. And so when this little Cleo was coming to the end of her life with kidney pains and problems and all of these things, and then we had to terribly sad take her to the vet and I really walked through the process of that loss with my daughter and the beautiful thing was whilst I know some people may not agree with this but she got to hold her as our beautiful little girl was given a sedative and we talked through it anyway we built this little I guess an altar at home where we had pictures of our gorgeous little cat and Taylor holding her and then a week later I got given something else it was a little Mr Nobody stuff toy and I bought that home and said to Taylor you can put this on the thing and she goes mum I think you need to realize that we're going to have to process this and we're going to have to move through this so <laughs> it's it's really important that we stop building an altar and we learn how to live without her and live with her memory oh my god I was just like wow she was a teenager telling me to to get it together mm -hmm. and I just really truly appreciated her insight that it wasn't about building this altar that was going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It was actually processing our emotions. And oh, I just thank you so much for sharing that. It's beautiful. And kids can be so honest, you know, and, and my educating teachers, that was a lived experience for me every year. Vinny was only in prep when his, um, I was the year before he started prep. So his first day of school was without his dad and all his dads are there, proud mums and dads first day of school and every year thereafter I'd have to go to the classroom and explain to the new teacher you know this is what's happened and this may come up in that time and, and then I'd get the email from the teacher you know um, <clears throat> Susie said her cat died and Johnny said grandma died and then Vincent said my daddy died and she said oh I just you know was so overwhelmed with emotion and sent him for a drink of water and I didn't know what to say because obviously that, that's far worse than, than Susie's cat and I'd be like well no to Susie it is you know all grief is felt at 100% and to a child of divorce that grief is 100% felt there's no comparison and kids are just so honest 
honest, you know, in saying that all of four and five about um, who they've lost and, and their pet or whatever, or, um, you know, I don't live with my mum anymore or my dad anymore, they're so honest. And what I found was the reason the teacher, you know, they weren't equipped is because there was then there was their own grief would come up and she would, the teacher would then write, you know, I lost my sister to breast cancer two years ago. And so it was all her unresolved grief that she didn't know how to support a little four-year-old in his grief. So there's so much education to be had there about acknowledgement and holding that space and not comparing um, loss and grief with each other. So I'm so glad you brought that up about pet loss because it's it's one of the first losses that, you know, a lot of children will experience or, or loss of a grandparent. Um, so we need to learn the language and, and have us come through that. So powerful. I read a beautiful quote and I've held this and I've still got it on my phone. There is nothing more beautiful than a person whose heart has been broken but still believes in love. Do you still believe in love, my sweet friend? Oh, absolutely. But with that self-love first, and you taught me that too, although many years ago with your beautiful book, um, Kim, it is all back to that because at the end of the day when you witnessed, you know, um, so many people and when, when you witnessed somebody take their last breath, everything else just fades and I write that in my book and in the end love is all that matters um nothing else I don't remember the house the car the all of those things it's just memories and and to us it's the little things that matter the most and I and I don't wish my circumstances on anyone but I do wish my perspective on life to some people that they can go through their whole life without experiencing a major loss only to get to that point and realise they've had it all wrong, <laughs> um, that we, you know, we seek out all these external pleasures um, and and recognition and status. And, but in the end, love is all that matters. Self-love first, all about that receiving. We can't give, we can't receive you know, uh, pure love unless we have that within ourselves first. So, yes, of course, I still believe in love. I love my family. I love to so wake up every day grateful and and, and that's, there's no shiny rainbows. Of course, I've, I still go through all these moments because they're emotions within um, our bodies and we need to feel those. Um, I have good days. I have bad days. But I now I'm so glad I have the tools to to work through that and to be the light for others and to, to model that to my kids that um you know emotions are normal and we need to release them um yes love is what makes the world go round it's what we're here for Mm, I just think you're so beautiful and you are indeed a beacon for us all, my friend. I just wanted to add just very quickly just how powerful essential oils are through the process of grief. Mm. And I personally would just love to add in here things like vetiver, which is a very grounding oil, lavender for healing and forgiveness. I love using lemon for clarity and cleansing when we're feeling so much fog. Bergamot, which is the oil for anxiety and worry and fear for light and joy and chamomile there is nothing more beautiful than the wrapping the arms of chamomile through smell for comfort and peace and probably my most favorite um, is frankincense for the fear of worrying about the future but also rose oil frankincense and rose to me are just two of the most profound oils for self-compassion self-love and honouring oneself, giving oneself that coat of armour that we can move through this with courage and grace and strength and dignity. And so I just wanted to say to you, thank you. And for the person listening to this, I just wanted to add that as a little bit of, of hope around how just those little actionable steps, putting on your diffuser, putting a drop of lavender on a, on a tissue, any of these things, they're small, actionable, inspired steps that can just help you breathe another moment, another hour, another day. So thank you, my beautiful friend, for all of the things that you offer. I just want to, to come to the close. We could talk for ages. And as I said, there is another podcast about dating for widows. <laughs> I do think there's something there, but 
you talked about, um, you know, it's important that we seek help. I think you made the incredible analogy here that when we break a bone or our car breaks down, we seek out experts, yet it just does not seem to be a process that we go when we're grieving or going through emotional pain or heartache, we seek out experts. And I, I'd love you now to sing your praises and do it and tell us how people can follow you. How do we find an expert like you that creates? and provides the resources. Thank you so much, Kim. And I just must add that your 28 and your diffuser has been an absolute lesson to me. I would not uh, be able to live without it. I love your oils and I love your diffuser. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for holding space today and I'm just acknowledging your audience as well and listeners and encourage anyone who'd like to just reach out to me to, to send me a message. You can find me, Gifts from Grief, on Facebook, Rachel Pope, my personal page, to connect with me there, Gifts from Grief on Instagram and my website, giftsfromgrief.com.au. Um, please, anyone I respond, just send me a message, even if it's just for acknowledgement, just to share your story with me and I will acknowledge and hold space for you for wherever you are at. Um, we have a beautiful group starting. I run Grief group um, sessions as well as one-to-one all over the world. COVID did bring my, my work online and I have beautiful clients in the US now, UK, Germany. I'm just so grateful to have met so many beautiful people. Um, so, yes, I encourage anyone to reach out and find out about any of my upcoming courses, whether that be in a group or one-to-one. So powerful and just what a beacon to know that there's something out there when we're in the depths of pain and that absolute agony of not even knowing what's the next step, let alone the next useful, inspired action that we can take. I love these words. Just as a final message, do you happen to have a favorite quote that we could end today's podcast and any final words of magic that you can bestow? Mm -hmm. The quote that comes to mind just for now is, is, is on the back cover of my book, Gifts from Grief, and that is life's too short to miss making memories. I think we um, we can often just, yeah, look too far ahead and, and we have, like you said, that anxiety and think fear and we just need to be more present in those moments and, and, and grief gives you that perspective to just be in the moment. Life's too short to miss making memories. We need to make memories in the small moments. They're the ones that matter the most. Oh, you beautiful soul. Rachel Pope, thank you so much for being with us right here on the Cell Love Podcast. Thank you for having me, Kim. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.